This evening uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 2. We've been working through the book of Acts. And I would name my message, Believe, 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 Believe in Who? The Son of Man. Now we shortened it up a little bit for the title, but... uh, but that's, that's the theme of the message. And we are in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be going over verses uh, 36 to 41. We're going to be moving around a little bit. Uh, Acts has been a wonderful book to begin to work through. Uh, these uh, apostles were told to go back and wait for this miracle to occur, for this day of Pentecost to come upon them. And while they were waiting, they were devoting themselves to prayer and to the service of uh, the Word. Continual prayer in the Word. We're waiting for the the Spirit to come upon them, following directions from our Lord and our Savior after His death, burial, and resurrection. uh, These men were waiting there, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Elphus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These, these are all, they were all in one accord in prayer. Uh, Wednesday I did a, a message on prayer and the importance of it, and we see that even back in this day right here. But we are in uh, chapter 2 here in them verses, and I covered, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, I think I've covered a couple messages on it, but clearly we see what was taking place at this time was the filling of the Holy Spirit, all the miracles that had occurred, and it speaks of words in here, it was uh, tongues and utterances, seemed to be some key words that were in debate after a message that as brothers we come together and and we love talking about God's word, and we want to be of one mind and one accord, and we just had a wonderful discussion, and I think uh, Objective and subjective would be two very important words in understanding when we approach uh, the hermeneutics of the written word of God, the authoritative word of God. And I, I think all the men that were there believe that this is the authoritative word of God, and they believe in the foundations of Jesus was for salvation. I believe them all be brothers, but when do it? And by the way, I'll, I'll tell on myself here too, but objective means verifiable information based on facts and evidence. Subjective means information or perspective based on feelings, opinions, or emotions. Now, as an example of that, as I was preaching in my last message, I was uh, emotional and and led to when we got to the verse when Peter then becomes, after the, I'm stuttering and stumbling around, after these 11 were there by him, they were speaking in tongues, which was clear. Let's just talk about tongues. Tongues is different languages, and utterances was this Holy Spirit was giving them this audible sound that was clear and legible. If we go back to the Greek words, look up the Greek words, there's nothing else that you can get out of that than that it was tongues means different languages, utterances was a a, 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 the volume of the voice coming out and it even clarified it and says clear uh, that they could he- understand clearly what was being said. Uh, so this is what was taking place with the, with the 11 as the Holy Spirit was ascending on them. They began to speak in different languages. The language of the had people from Aramaic, Greek, Latin, Parthian, 
from all over the world, all over the kingdoms, they had come there uh, for this, to watch this great miracle. And they began to communicate to them. Then Peter stands up among them, was with them, and then he begins to basically pronounce judgment, the judgment of God that he has imposed on the leaders of Judea and the Israels to pass judgment on them. He didn't need to be speaking in any other language, but the language for that they could understand, and they could understand very clearly. And then we got to the passage where I says, and he makes a comment that uh, the man whom you crucified, see, that was there, and I believe it's in verse 36, he says, uh, Peter, then he says, after Peter, then, begins expounding, he, he then begins to expound, and he just becomes like this Old Testament scholar. This, old, this fisherman becomes this Old Testament scholar and just brings all this information to bear uh, upon them, and th- which he's, the, it's pe- the passing of God's judgment on them, where they got it wrong, where they weren't in a good understanding. And he says to them, Peter says to them very clearly, he says to them, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he, he, was, he was calling out the Jewish leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees, whom you crucified, he said. Well, see, John got a little subjective there. I, I, I read something in it through emotion because I wanted to strike your hearts in an application for your heart would be stricken. And I made a statement that who crucified Jesus? And I made the statement that you crucified him, I crucified him, we all crucified Jesus because he died for all of us. And you know, that could be a true statement. We could be preaching on the atonement in Jesus and what I was saying was absolutely true and correct. But was it what the scripture was saying right here? Was I being subjective or was I being objective to the Bible? And if we're going to preach the word of God and to expository, expound on it, then I should try to do that accurately. So there's an instance where I, I'll tell on myself, I, and I've, I've had a lot of prayer on that. But moving on to the message, the message is, is, is to me, is a salvation message at this point, because it's very clear, let's just read the verses I'll be going over tonight, and then, then we'll, get, uh, we'll get dig into it a little deeper. So then he says, to whom you crucified... Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. So then, those who had received this word were baptized. That day there were added about 3,000 souls. What, a, what an awesome time, that miracle age would take in place 3,000 times. But I, I would like to change to you to speak to us tonight. This is what was taking on there, but should we not still do that? Isn't that the great commission, the great command? Didn't Jesus say, 
say, go therefore to all nations proclaiming the gospel to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? That's our command. And that's been the command. It's God's redemptive plan through his redemptive history from that point, from the beginning of time, all the way until at this present time. And the souls have been coming into the kingdom of heaven one by one have been coming in since then. And yes, we did start at 4.30 tonight instead of 5 o'clock, so you're not late if you just showed up. And we are in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. So, what I would like to do at this point in time, this is one of these things where we do messages and this one just seems to have a more of an importance or just, it just, we have to get it right. I have to get this one right. The importance of this message to get this right is life or death. Uh, to, but how do we do that? We must preach the full counsel of God's word. I know oftentimes at this point, we could, I could bring you into the, the altar call. We could have the music. Logan, get up there, play the piano. I want you to play a nice soft tone at this point. And I'm going to pull on the, the hearts of people to call them to repentance and to make them conf- or ask for them to confess. And some of them do, often do. But it doesn't, I don't know if it says that in the Bible anywhere like that. I think the full counsel of God's word is what really takes place. If I'm calling you to repentance, here Peter, there, he called them, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people, to repentance. So some of them at this point, some were rejecting God's word. God had turned them over to a reprobate mind. Uh, Others, he opened their eyes up and they were asking because they had a repentant heart. They had a worried heart. They were worried, and what, what should we do at this point? And that was the Holy Spirit drawn on them. And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized. So I, I would like to talk a little bit about salvation, a little bit about God's redemptive plan. And where else better to go to but into John chapter 3 to get a, a deeper understanding of the doctrine of regeneration and what takes place. And we're going to go to John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Uh, right before this, we know that Jesus narrowly escaped. They were wanted to put stone him to death, and he narrowly escaped because he knows, he knows the hearts and minds of all people. And he makes it here now, and then we have this scene where Nicodemus comes on to the scene at night, and this this Discussion begins. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do you not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, and you do not accept our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things. I need to stop there. So, what we see here right now at this point in time, we see the doctrine of regeneration. We, we see a sinner's worry. We see, we see a Savior's word. And we see the Spirit working. And Nicodemus did not come to Jesus and verbally ask Jesus this. Jesus knew what was on Nicodemus' mind and on his heart. Nicodemus had a worried heart. Nicodemus thought him being a leader of his people, of the, the, he was handed God's word to proclaim the truth of God's word to his people, to bring people to God, and Nicodemus was worried about where he was going to spend eternity. He was, he was worried. He had a troubled soul. He did not need to come in there and say, Jesus, I'm worried. Jesus knew straight away. And he answered Nicodemus' worry. He says, you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus, I know what he was thinking. The Jewish people were such stringent law followers. Just give me another law. Let's just write another one in the books. I can do this. If I can just do one more thing, I just need to do one more thing, then I can have my salvation. And I need to know this one more thing, and then I can teach that, that these other people can do. Jesus gave him a terrible dilemma. He placed on his lap, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, Jesus, he just does wonderful with these word pictures. Because think about it. What part did you take in your birth? Did you have a conversation with your mom and dad prior to conception that says, hey, no, you did absolutely nothing. Nicodemus is troubled by this. He just wants one more thing to do. And Jesus says, no, you must be born again. Then he goes on to explain, it is as if how the wind blows. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. It's God, the sovereignty of God that does the work. It's the predetermination of God is what and when he will do it. And it's his choice. It's just the way the wind blows. You can't see the wind, but you can hear it. You can see the trees moving, but you know it's blowing. That was, that was really troubling for Nicodemus. So th this is the doctrine of regeneration, what takes place. We see three things. The sinner's worry, the Savior's word, and the Spirit at work. We should take that in. 
we, 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 should, we should take that in and under, understand this. Now I want to move to another part uh, that we, we must... We're going to get back to, uh, in John 3, but we, we need to move over to Romans at this point. So Romans... Chapter 9, what a good chapter. And yet, now before we get to the, the altar call, and I play the music for you, we're, we're going to read the, the scriptures before that happens. Before I present you with this, we're going to read before what happens in John, the, what's going on with Nicodemus. What does Paul say about this in, in Romans 9, before we get to uh, Romans 10? Let's, let's just take a, just try to have God's word just come into your heart. Chapter 9. And I could say a prayer for this, for my people today. Uh, when I mean my people, the people that are listening online, the people that I minister, my brothers, my sisters, my family members, the people in my community. I, I, I don't know if I would want to trade my soul the way Paul says here to trade my soul for your soul because I'm still a little bit of selfish and self-centered I am. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to give that up that he gave me, and I'll be honest with you, but Paul is actually saying that he, he wishes he could give his salvation to his brother, brother Jews that could get this because he wants them to have the salvation. And that's the importance of this message of getting it right, getting God's word, word right, the full counsel of God's word, that you have all the information you need before you move forward. And, and Paul's having this prayer. with the, he's, he's anguishing inside of his heart. And our outcome... We want the outcome. I want the outcome of everybody to be saved. I want the outcome of everybody to be in the kingdom of heaven. But there's other people on the other side. There's the prince in power of the air with the false ideologies and thought processes. He wants something else. He wants to see everybody go to hell. So it's just not what I want. So it is my effort. What is my effort play in this? To try to accurately read God's word. And what does it say? Let, it, let the God's word in itself work on our hearts. That's the effort. That's the only thing I have control over is the effort. And believing. Believing the scripture that, that this is the there's certain truths that we all have to hold to as believing Christians. This is the authoritative word of God, sola scriptura. It's the word alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, to God alone. Each and every single one of these things. We believe the scripture, just what it says. God did not make it confusing for us. We make it confusing for ourselves. Well, here's, here's Paul now in chapter 9 in Romans. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is, is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. 
But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descendants from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's seed. But through Isaac your seed will be named. That is, the children of the flesh are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are considered as seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that the purpose of God according to his choice would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you, and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Or does, it not, does not the potter have authority over the clay to make from the same lump of vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And wait, if God wanting to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known endured with much patience vessels of wrath having been prepared for destruction and in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessel of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he also called not from among the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He says also to Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people and, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, 
Though the numbers of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the land thoroughly and quickly, and just as Isaiah foretold. Unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left to us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness laid hold of righteousness, even the righteousness that which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not attain that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it's written, Behold, I am lying, laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And the one who believes upon him will not be put to shame. Okay. Boy, we just read an awful lot there. So let's just break it down. Let's be objective and not subjective here on what it's telling us. Well, Clearly what we see here is God has taken a choice that Jacob and Isaac, they're two real people and God loved one and he hated the other one. And why did God do that? Because God is God. He's the potter. He chooses on what he will do. He says he'll raise up the Pharaoh to demonstrate his mercy and his grace to another and he will raise up somebody to, to put his wrath upon him to show his mercy and grace how great it is. God has the right because we are all, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We, we all reserve God's condemnation. That's what we deserve. But God chooses whom he chooses. And now what happens lots of times is well, people will then say, well, they'll put a guy's name on it like, well, that's, that's Calvinism. Well, no, that's not Calvinism. That's the Apostle Paul who had written this in chapter 9 right before we're going to get to the good part. Because I, I know everybody wants to hear the good part. They don't like to hear the bad part. And oftentimes we, we have ministers that don't want to preach through this part or talk through it or read it because it's so hard to understand. But it's really not. It seems pretty clear to me that he chose one over another one. Uh, so, with that being said, what, what's going on here? What's going on in this redemptive plan? Well, I'd like to just go to the Ephesians and read. I'm just letting God's Word speak to us uh, a little bit here. But Ephesians is, is a wonderful chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. So what's taking place here? Uh, in John verses 1 through 10, I just read Romans 9. Let's just hear a little bit more from, from God. And if you ever want to get your theology, get it from the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's absolutely wonderful, everything that God does. If you're down, if you're depressed, if someone's ill in the hospital and their spirits need to be lifted, uh, enter, enter into this. But let's, let's see what God, how God puts us in his whole, own words instead of John trying to put it into his words, what goes on here. And here's our Apostle Paul again. And here's what he says. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, if indeed you heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me before you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, about which when you read you 
can understand my insight into the mysteries of Christ. Let's get into the insight of the mysteries of Christ. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it was now revealed to his holy apostles, the ones at Pentecost. It was revealed to them at this time. And the prophets in the Spirit that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the... ministered according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring the light for all what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God whom created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. This was the, in according with the eternal power which he carried out in, and I apologize. Let me start over. Ephesians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from our God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is God the Father, our Lord, in our heavenly places. Here, here's the part. Just as he chose us in him. Who, who did the choosing? God did the choosing. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did he choose you, beloved? Before the foundation of the world, it says here. Verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. What, what a reassuring, what a loving thing to know and understand that he chose you, beloved. He chose me before the foundation of the world to be able to stand holy and blameless before an all-righteous God. My whole li life I lived under condemnation in the fear of his wrath. And when I began to be filled with his spirit and read these words, it's so reassuring to me. And what's he say in verse 5? He pre, pre, predestined, predetermined us to what? To adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the Beloved. He graciously bestowed because of the wrath that we deserve. When Jesus died, he took that on and he graciously bestowed it in him, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him for the administration of the fullness of times, that is, the summing up all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his seal of his will. So, all right. So we read John, beginning of John chapter 3, we read Romans 9. We put it together in Paul's word that God is in control. He's a sovereign God. He chooses whom he chooses uh, for this, and that's a hard, that's a hard thing 
for people to, because it feels, you know what it feels like? It feels like I just infringed on your free will. And I understand that. And I don't think God puts this text right next to the, to the, to the next text to confuse us. I think he combines these texts together to try to give us a greater understanding. And what do you mean by that, John? Well, we have an infinite God trying to speak to a finite creature something that's so complex that there will be scholarly debates and in the church they'll be biting at each other, they'll be not of one mind because we are incapable of totally wrapping our head around this paradox because we're finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God. So when I read, because this is the authoritative read of word of God, when I read Romans 9, I read that literally, that he loved one, he hated the other one. I, when I read that he raised up the Pharaoh to crush him, to show his mercy to another, I believe that. When Nicodemus, as a ruler of the people, went to Jesus at night with a troubled heart and a troubled spirit, concerned about his salvation, his eternity, and God knew his heart and told him he must be reborn again. I believe that. I believe that I had taken nothing, no, nothing in my, my first birth. When Paul says that we're dead in our trespasses, when I read that in Scripture, that means... If I was in the hospital laying on the gurney and my heart had stopped beating, do I have any capacity or any capability of reaching over and grabbing the, the, AD, the, the paddles to resuscitate myself back to life? No, absolutely nothing. I have nothing because I was dead in my trespasses. I was warned against God. So now, what I'd like to do is I would like to go back to, to Romans 9 to continue on there, to turn, to turn the page on this, to say, from God's sovereignty and what God says. And see, I've wrestled with this. I've tried to, I've tried to put a handle on it, to try to explain it one way or the other, and I'm sorry, I can't. I, I, I cannot do it. All I can tell you is I'm a finite creature. I'm praying to God and asking God, give me the wisdom Please, God. He says in James, if you pray for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. I read his word. I listen to it. I say, I ask for the wisdom. I'm reading this text. This is what it says to me. That's why I says this, this message of it, all the messages is just so important because it has to deal with our salvation. About our, it's God's sovereignty. I don't want to take away anything from God's sovereignty. I have a sovereign God who loves me, who's shown mercy on me. I can't put words in his mouth. I do not want to be subjective with my God. We'll try to read the, read the right verses for you here, too. So now, let's continue reading a little bit in, in chapter 10 in Romans. And this is where we, we started with the message. Peter says, you were cut by, the, here's what, remember, with, with Nicodemus, what was it? It was, it, was a worried, it was a worried heart. He had a troubled heart. He had a troubled spirit. Something was troubling him. Peter proclaimed judgment 
on the group of people. They were worried, they had worried souls. And when he says, it was you who turned him over and crucified him, that cut them to the heart. See, when you're a sinner and you're warned against God and you're troubled right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. The devil's condemning you. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. You're being cut to your heart right now. This is one of the most important times when you have this information that you're about to receive on what takes place. And uh, so let's see what it says in, in chapter 10. Remember, we just read all of 9. It was very clear to me. Chapter 10 says, Brothers, my heart desires and my prayers to God for them is for their salvation. My, my prayers is for your salvation. If your soul is troubled today and you're outside of God's uh, will, you're troubled, you feel worthless, you feel condemned, just listen to what's being said now. Paul says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. And he's talking about his fellow kinsmen here. We know that. But you, you're, you're my fellow kinsmen now. We've been grafted in together. It's not the, the, the bloodline that gets us there. We read that in Romans 9. It was by faith, by believing, and believing what, we're, what we read in God's word, how Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. The Jewish people had been given the law. They kept trying to work for it, but it's not by works. So if, you were, if some religions want to baptize when you, were, when you were a baby and says you've obtained salvation and you commit a sin, you lose your salvation, and now you need to work to get back in it, that's no different than what the Jewish people. We've been grafted in. The Jews and the Gentile were all in one. We all come by faith. We all come the same way. It's all in God's work. It's all in God's doing. It's all in the Holy Spirit. And he says, For the not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, for Christ it is in the end of the law. Righteousness to everyone who believes. Remember that word, believes, in verse 4. Then I'm going to move down to verse 8. And he says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, which I'm preaching, what true preachers of the gospel of the good news are preaching to you. That if you do what? Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. For the Spirit says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom have not believed? How will they believe? You notice the word believe here? I want you to keep that in mind about believing. So believing apparently is nothing that we, we like, it's not like, because it's faith by grace we've been saved, not our own work. So it's not a work by believing. 
Because it's faith by grace we've been saved, not by our own works, for no man can boast. Let's move back to John now, chapter 3. John chapter 3, I, I, re- I read past a little bit. This is the, 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 the doctrine of regeneration. From verses 1 through 10, we, we know that there's a sinner's worry, a Savior's word, and the Spirit's working in one's life. We know it's God's choice who chooses whom he chooses. He, he, and and then here, here we go into what it says. What's going to happen here? Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. In seven verses, from verses 12 to 18, from th- verses 12 to 18, Jesus is going to say, is going to tell us to believe, or not believe, but believe eight times. So there's probably a pretty, pretty, pretty high importance on believing. And then also to believe in what? Well, to believe in the Son of Man. Let's, let's read this, these verses now, verses 12 through 18. And he says, if I told you, now this is with Nicodemus, he says, if I told you who, he has a, a worried heart, the Savior words being given to him, this, the, the same words can be given to you right now, the same Holy Spirit, the time at Pentecost when Peter told him to repent, be baptized, believe, what can we do? If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world, this is the most famous verse in the world, everybody knows this one, this is the one we go to when we start playing the piano, but did we read the, all the scripture before this? Did we, did we have the full counsel of God's word? Did we take away from God's sovereignty? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send who? The son into the world to be judged. The world the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him, believes in who? Him, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And it seems to me at this point that God places that back in the sinner's hand. He says, it's for not believing. See? So you, 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 you can pass judgment on yourself by not believing at this point in time. You, you believe, you confess in your heart who God is, sovereign God, who Jesus is, what he did. You believe that in your heart. And you believe it to the bottom of your heart. You confess it with your mouth, he says. But if you choose not to, if you come to the full knowledge and full revelation who Jesus is and reject him, to me in Hebrews chapter 6, that speaks to the impardonable sin. Oftentimes the same religions that will be subjective in God's word will tell someone that they can lose their salvation and then regain it. Well, it's, it says right there, it's impossible. It's impossible to do that. And what are they speaking about? 
It was back in the time that all of these disciples, not just the 11, his apostles, but all the disciples in the land, everybody that seen all of Jesus' miracles, they seen it, they ate the bread. Jesus made loaves of bread. He made fish. He made absolute. They had tasted it. They seen it. They knew who he was. And there are some who God, apparently, in chapter 9 of Romans, hardened their hearts, rejected Jesus. And he tells us right here, it's those who do not believe. We must believe. And that's why it's so crucial when you hear these words, when you come to the full knowledge and the full revelation who Jesus is, the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ from, from the apostles until right now, that we're giving you the truth of God's word that's presented to you, that's being presented to you, accurately given to you, you have a decision to make. Is this man they call Jesus, the Son of God, is he real or is he not real? You reject him, you've called down God's damnation on you. You accept him and you believe, and it's the full counsel of God's word. It's just not the cherry picking what makes you feel good, because the flesh is weak and the spirit is strong. We have to believe all of the Bible. There's a list of sinners in here that I won't go over right now in Corinthians. But it says, such were some of you. See, all of it. Oftentimes, I still, as a Christian, I stumble. I fall still. I have to continue to repent. I have to continue to have the humility. But I know I accept this as the authoritative word of God. Every letter of it. Every jot. Every tittle of it. And he says, don't sin, but if you do sin, confess your sins, and he'll surely forgive. That's, that's for believers. But as an unregenerated soul right now, if you, if you don't know Jesus, I just, I beg of you. I beg of you to believe in your heart and profess with your mouth. And you know what? The proof will be in the pudding. He says the Holy Spirit will enter upon you just like on the day of Pentecost that filled 3,000 that day. The Holy Spirit will enter upon you and you will begin to have it. The old things will pass away. The new will begin because the Spirit will be in you. You'll be hungry and you'll be thirsting for the God's Word and you'll want to share God's Word on whatever way you can possibly do it. Either standing in a pulpit reading it or uh, helping a singing ministry or food ministry or wherever you're at, proclaiming the truth of God's Word, sharing the gospel of good news. The time is now for us to do that. And that will happen. And your life will change. You, and you'll be surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You accept this into your heart and you'll see a change. And I pray that for each and every one of us. And let me just close in prayer. Our Father and our God, full of grace and mercy, Father, I know sometimes when we read your words, it's difficult, it's troubling in our souls, and I know that you're just this infinite God. I'm this finite creature. I lack understanding. I pray for that wisdom, Father. I just pray for the understanding, and I thank you. I thank you for your Son, Jesus, that died for my sins and for those who will believe in him, died for their sins on that cross and had rose again. It sits at the right hand of God and all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth and given to us as his disciples to go about the world proclaiming the truth, your word, accurately. 
that may we be able to continue to expound on your word accurately as it's written. Father, we pray for more workers. The labor is few and the, the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. Father, we pray for more laborers to come in us and around us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.